Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey, well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to another episode so we have two guests today, Deborah Korn and Michael Baldwin. They are the co-authors of Every Memory Deserves Respect, EMDR, and the Proven Trauma Therapy with the Power to Heal. Deborah is a clinical psychologist with a private practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is on the faculties of the EMDR Institute in California and the Trauma Research Foundation in Boston. She is an EMDR Internationally Association approved consultant and presents and consults internationally on the treatment of adult survivors of childhood abuse and neglect. And Michael is an accomplished leader in the communications industry with more than 35 years of award-winning work in advertising. He is founder and principal of the branding and communication firm, Michael Baldwin, Inc. in New York. Michael is a trauma survivor actively engaged in the process of recovery. And both of them bring their experiences together to write this book. And so on this episode, they're going to talk about EMDR, what it is, how it helps with trauma. And I think this episode is packed with a lot of knowledge and wisdom and insight into the process of EMDR and how it can be helpful for anyone struggling with trauma. So stay tuned for this episode. Before we start, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. I really do appreciate it. Thank you all that have taken the time to do that. It means a lot to me. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind Podcast, click join, and continue the conversation online. All right, let's start this episode. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. I have two wonderful guests today. 
Deborah Lynn and Michael Baldwin, and they are the author of the, and I have to say this, this beautiful book, Every Memory Deserves Respect, EMDR and the Proven Trauma Therapy with the Power to Heal. And I just have to start off before you guys start saying, I love this book and the and the way in which it is written about EMDR. It is just with all of the pictures and the illustrations, you guys have really brought this work to a beautiful level. So I, I'm I'm in love with it. So I'm already singing your praises, but let's jump in. And first, before I do that, let's we're going to talk about EMDR. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about the story. But I want you guys to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about you. And so we can kind of get to know you. And then we're going to dig into the book a little bit. So, Michael, you, you want to start since kind of starts with you, I think. Sure. I am now aware of the fact that I'm a trauma survivor. Going back to the, um, well, the genesis of the book, I had spent t- over 20 years trying to find relief for the what because of the, the symptoms I was having. And never once did a therapist ever mention the word trauma to me. And only after I encountered Dr. Jeffrey Magnavita, who was my EMDR therapist. So for your audience's benefit, Deborah was not my therapist. She's my co-author. Long story short, the relief that I discovered with working with Dr. Magnavita and with the MDR was kind of the, the final frontier and so profound. And because I didn't know anything about trauma and I had never heard of EMDR, I figured that there's a lot of people out there also like myself who might also be suffering who might be encouraged to, to share their trauma stories, starting with themselves. And if we could decode trauma for them and, and introduce them to EMDR therapy, that perhaps with this book, we could help a whole lot of people around the world because it was meant from the very get-go to be a lay person, non-clinical. And then, of course, the irony is it seems to have broad appeal to both audiences, both lay audiences and all of Debbie's community and colleagues. That's kind of the story in a nutshell. And um, when I suggested, uh, well, actually when Dr. Magnavita suggested to me that this might be a real viable book idea, the only thing I had to do was go out and find an EMDR therapist who's willing to write a book with someone they'd never met before in their lives. And that ended up, <laughs> ended up being Debbie. And, and I believe me, I reached out to everyone, Bruce Perry and... Bessel and Judith Herman and Christine Courtois and all the all-stars. And to my infinite benefit and the benefit of every reader, Debbie was the one who finally agreed to collaborate with me. That's that's awesome. So this this comes out of your own suffering, your own pain, your own hurt, your own yes. trauma. Yep. And it grew out of that. And then you recruited Deborah into this. Deborah, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I maintain a private practice in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm also an adjunct training faculty member at Bethel Vanderkolk's Trauma Research Foundation in Boston. And I was trained in EMDR by Francine Shapiro, the developer of EMDR in 1991 and 1992. And I've been on the faculty of the EMDR Institute, which is Dr. Shapiro's Institute for the past 28, almost 29 years. Over the years, I've authored or co-authored many articles and chapters focused on EMDR therapy, including comprehensive reviews of 
EMDR applications with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That's always been a particular interest of mine, a particular area of expertise, working with adult survivors of childhood abuse and neglect. I'm an EMDR-approved consultant. That's the EMDR International Association-approved consultant, and also on the editorial board of the Journal of EMDR Practice and Research. And in addition to doing therapy, I teach and I consult here in the U.S. and internationally on EMDR and complex traumatic stress disorders. And back several years ago now, Michael approached me with this idea, and I was elated. I thought, I thought the vision was beautiful, as you said, and much needed. This idea of creating a user-friendly, accessible text about trauma and recovery and EMDR therapy. And I just got, I just got so excited. I felt so compelled to engage with Michael because uh, I started to imagine that, you know, we could have this book that my clients would actually be excited to read. You know, they yeah. wouldn't roll their eyes when I'd say, I have a book for you. You know, I imagined it as a book that I could share with my parents who've always, always, you know, struggled to really understand what I do for a living. Uh, you know, I saw it as a book that we could share with all different kinds of caregivers, like educators and lawyers and people in the criminal justice system that really would benefit from having a trauma-informed perspective about a range of disorders, difficulties, addictions. So I said yes, and we became a team, and uh, the rest is history. I mean, it really sounds like it was one of those things where when two people come together, that synergy, that that happened to create something really amazing. And I, I love the word that you said, accessible, because as I you know, picked up your book, and I'm so glad I, I got to have a copy, that really resonates with me because it, it really feels that way. It feels very, very accessible into a topic that can really feel overwhelming and complex. Yeah. And, you know, tr it's can be hard to understand. And I'm sure, like you said, Michael, earlier, going back to you, where, you know, you've been done, doing all this therapy and still suffering. And all of a sudden you, you found EMDR and, and that was the first step in making some kind of change in your life. It's funny. I um, I just uh, had dinner with my brother and his two daughters, and all three of them are now seeing EMDR therapists. <laughs> Again, my brother, who's older than me, he, like myself, had various forays into, into different kinds of therapy. And it has been so profound, the effect it's had on my brother as well. And on his two daughters, and you know, like one of the Justine said tonight, it's so funny. Once you discover it, and once you understand how this therapy works, you are so grateful for having such an efficient and effective way of, of dealing with what's going on with you. It's really been a revelation for me, saved my life, and and there's just been a whole spillover, both family, and then there's a whole other group of people who have also discovered EMDR by way of myself and relationship with me and, and, and the book that's been really rewarding also. So, you know, with, with that said, let's, let's talk a little bit about what EMDR is because people hear that term and EMDR, what in the world are you talking right. about? What does that mean? What does it even right. stand for? Right. Right. Sure. So to start with EMDR stands for eye movement 
desensitization and reprocessing. And I always like to say it's a total mouthful. It's a total earful. People have a hard time remembering it. We named the book, Every Memory Deserves Respect. That stands for E-M-D-R. Every memory deserves respect in the hopes that it might help people in remembering the name of the therapy. But let's break it down for a moment. Desensitization refers to the reduction of distress, fear, anxiety. Reprocessing refers to the reevaluation or the restructuring of thoughts and beliefs and basically the transformation of one's sense of self relative to past traumatic experiences. It's about moving the past into the past. And then there's the eye movement component. Now, Francine Shapiro, the developer of EMDR, by chance, accidentally discovered that purposely moving your eyes horizontally back and forth while focusing on a traumatic memory leads to a reduction in the vividness and the emotional intensity of the memory. She developed an effective protocol for treating PTSD and trauma-related problems using this bilateral stimulation or this back and forth stimulation and published the very first research study on this approach in 1989. She worked with rape survivors and Vietnam combat veterans. So hence the name eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. Now EMDR is a memory focused psychotherapy that helps people deal with the impact and the legacy of trauma and adverse experiences in their lives. And it's based on the idea that psychological problems are related to a failure to adequately process traumatic experiences or memories. And unprocessed traumatic memories that are frozen or locked in our nervous system continue to affect how we perceive things. That it continues to affect the decisions we make, the reactions we have, the beliefs we hold about ourselves, about others, about the world. And present day triggers come along, triggers being anything that somehow resembles the original trauma. These present day triggers come along and activate these unprocessed traumatic memories leading to symptoms that cause ongoing distress. And in EMDR therapy, we help clients access and activate their unprocessed traumatic memories with a set of very focused questions like, what picture represents the worst part of that memory? What's the negative belief about yourself that comes up when you bring this memory into the present moment? What would you rather believe about yourself? What are the feelings that come up? What are the sensations that come up? We ask this set of very focused questions to help activate these unprocessed memories. And then we jumpstart the brain's information processing system using bilateral stimulation, using eye movement or other forms of what we call bilateral stimulation. So it may be having the client listen on headphones to tones that go back and forth from one ear to the other. It may be asking the client to put their hands on their lap and then tapping on their hands back and forth, alternating back and forth. But over the years, we've discovered that there are multiple forms of so-called bilateral stimulation that seem to have the same desensitization effect and, and that catalyze this information processing system to bring about transformation of these unprocessed memories. So 
with the so, EMDR reprocessing. Oh, oh, hold on, be, oh, before yeah. because we're yeah, we're yeah. getting like really really deep into this. I, uh, I want to talk about like before we go into that because I, I want to talk about the desensitization part of it. But I also yeah. want to talk about in in a practical way when we talk about triggers and trauma and these old memories, how, how do they show up in the present day? Like I'd like to go to to Michael and can mm. can you give examples of how that is, how this old trauma was playing out in your life and and the impact of that? Sure, sure. So I'll give you a, a couple examples, different different types. One is two nightmares that I had for decades, the exact same two nightmares that were every bit as vivid and terrifying every time I would have them as the first time I ever had them. At one point, I remember I nearly almost fell out of bed and broke my wrist because it was just so terrifying. One had to do with being at the top of the Empire State Building and falling off and being awake the entire time and hitting the pavement. Another one was wow. that I was I was being found out by the, the police that I had been an accomplice to a crime and they were coming to get me and I knew I'd be put in prison and I would never, ever, ever, ever get out. So I'd wake up thinking, oh my God, you know, they're coming to get me. And I mean, total, total panic. So nightmares were one. Phobias were another one where as a boy... I would live in fear of having the need to use a stall in the boys' room because it was just fraught with complete fear and panic. I didn't know why. I had no idea why. As an adult, any suggestion of intimacy or an intimate situation with a woman was full-on panic mode. Did not know why. So the naive, it's hard to even say this as as an educated thinking adult, was, I guess this is just how I am. This is just the way I am. I can't use a stall. I can't. This is how I react to women. When those were actual phobias, meaning the scenario was a trigger back to traumatic events that were unaware. I was unaware of, but that were being triggered. So those are those are a couple of examples of how, as a boy and as an adult, the the, the buried trauma was being activated even in situations where I didn't, I didn't have no conscious awareness of what the source trauma was. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, right. So this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Deborah, earlier about how trauma like lives in the body and, and is locked in there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think people out there don't realize like some of these things are actually trauma. Like this, these responses are actually trauma. Right. Well, what we say in EMDR is that, actually, let me back up even farther. We process memories. We process experiences every day, right? Normal, everyday experiences. We go to a party. We see our friends. We have a good time. We go home that night. We think about it. We reflect on it. Maybe we talk with our partner about it. We go to sleep that night and maybe we have a dream about it. But by the next day, we've processed through that experience. With traumatic experiences, our nervous system, our brain, 
our information processing system somehow gets overwhelmed, gets dysregulated, and that traumatic experience gets frozen or locked in the nervous system. And it gets frozen or locked in the nervous system with all of the component parts of the experience. It gets frozen with the feelings, the sensations, the thoughts, the impulses, the images that were a part of that original experience, right? And the brain's information processing system is somehow unable to digest that experience and other information held in other parts of the brain, that information just doesn't get connected in, doesn't get integrated to help a person make sense of that event. And then when you're triggered, um, so when Michael was confronted with an intimate situation with a woman, or Michael didn't talk about this, but in his in his work life, if somebody you know, offered some critical feedback, right? It would trigger all of this old stuff around being inadequate, being unlovable, Failure. right? A trigger comes along and all of a sudden that constellation of frozen information, frozen experience gets reactivated. And sometimes it gets and, and, reactivated and I, I, in one felt. Can I, can I just reactivate it in a way that's like so overwhelming to the person, right? Yes. Right. So sometimes that memory or that constellation of memories gets reactivated in a very comprehensive way. And it looks and sounds and feels like PTSD, right? The feelings, the right. sensations, the images come as nightmares, as flashbacks. The sensations come as body memories, right? It looks like full-blown PTSD. But sometimes the, that frozen memory gets activated in a much more subtle way. It's just a wave of feeling that comes or a wave of bodily sensation. And there's no context to it, right? The person doesn't realize, oh, this is part of a memory that's getting activated. They're experiencing it as shame or they're experiencing it as depression or as a bout of anxiety or a panic attack. And what we would say in the EMDR world is, no, that's old stuff getting reactivated, getting stirred up in your nervous system and pe peeking its head and you're experiencing distress. Right. And then that distress leads to coping mechanisms that aren't always very helpful. Right. And that's where the addictions Correct. come in, right? right. One right. of many possible solutions when someone is overwhelmed or flooded or, or the opposite, numb shut down, right? You look for ways to, to navigate that territory, to medicate yourself, to soothe yourself, to feel okay. And in my case, Dwayne, number one medicator or medication was alcohol, where I would on a regular basis drink to blackout stage. And then it got even more kind of sinister and diabolical when I was introduced to Vicodin. So I would combine Vicodin right. with alcohol which is a pretty effective numbing, but pretty dangerous combination. So that was my go-to numbing medication to try to escape and numb and, you know, not feel it. Right, right. Yeah, to, to just get out. And what was yeah. also, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about how a lot of these times, like you said earlier, Deborah, these feelings come out or triggered and we can't always put the the memory with it, but it's happening. And right. so it in some ways doesn't right. always make sense. Like, I guess, like you said earlier, Michael, I guess it's just, this is just who I am. I'm just stuck with this. Yeah, exactly. 
which is when you look back, like, how could I possibly have thought, you know, this is just so not in the norm. But but when you when you don't know, that's just the, at least in my case, that's just the deduction that I made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you know, I, running, I guess running I'm just, home I'm, in, I'm just in, broken. In, in second grade to, to uh, you know, the, the eight blocks from my school running home to make it to be able to use the bathroom in time so I wouldn't have to risk using the stall in the men's room again. Not knowing why, just I just can't. There's no way I can do that. There's just no way, no way. Right, you're right, right. That's just not going to happen. And I guess right. I'm just just this way. You know, I was just going to comment that it's worth saying that by the end of Michael's EMDR therapy treatment, he had answers. He understood. Yeah. He could connect the dots and was yep. really had a narrative, a way of explaining to himself why it was that he struggled in all of these different ways. And every single symptom could be traced back to traumatic experiences that were either known to him at the start of treatment, but not labeled as a trauma, not understood as affecting him in the way it did, or it floated back, those symptoms floated back to experiences that had not been in his consciousness at the start of treatment, but emerged out of his processing of uh, childhood experiences. And I was thinking about how often, and, and in the book you talk about like big T trauma, small T trauma. And I, I think a lot of times people can easily see big T trauma, but small T trauma may be a little bit more subtle. And can you talk about that? Because I, I think that's also important yeah. in, in why we don't put these things together sometimes. Like yeah, we, can't, we can't put them together. I'm so glad you're, I'm so glad you're asking about that. So, you know, what we refer to as big T events are events that most anyone would consider traumatic, right? Shock traumas, where the person perceives a potential threat to their survival or to the survival of loved ones. So here we're talking about childhood, sexual, physical, or emotional abuse, uh, rape, or physical assault the traumatic death or murder of a loved one, combat-related trauma, devastation related to an environmental disaster, witnessing violence. When we talk about little t traumas, which little t traumas are also described as uh, developmental traumas or attachment-related traumas. And these are experiences that people might not necessarily recognize as traumatic or events that might not necessarily meet the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual Criteria for so-called a so-called trauma. So here we're talking about criticism or covert bullying or experiences of betrayal. Uh, we're talking about experiences involving humiliation or failure or aloneness. We're talking about subtle microaggressions as well as blatant uh, discrimination or hostility, like related to race or ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation. You know, so little t examples might be in adulthood, a divorce, losing a job, a difficult move, or the discovery of a partner's affair. And examples in childhood of little t traumas might be feeling ignored, feeling different, feeling unable to measure up, feeling powerless to control the chaos or the craziness 
or the addictive insanity in your family. Right, right. It's also just really important to mention that trauma involves both omission and commission, right? Commission or where things are committed against you. And omission is where there are absences. So commission refers to these things that happen to you, the, the assault, the emotional or physical or sexual abuse. Omission refers to situations where things were supposed to happen, should have happened, but didn't, right? Situations right. where someone was not properly protected or listened to or cared for or believed or valued. And so we're talking about these experiences of neglect or deprivation or abandonment or alienation. And so often those experiences don't get asked about in therapy. You know, therapists, thank God today, know to ask, you know, have you been abused? Have you been physically or sexually abused? But very often therapists don't know to ask about emotional abuse, don't know the words to use in asking about that kind of trauma. And they certainly don't know how to ask about what was missing and clients themselves don't know that they're missing something because when you never experience something, you don't know that there's there's a loss there. There's an absence there. Right. It's it's ordinary. <laughs> it's it's I didn't even know that I was missing this, but it's playing out in my life. Like Michael, like you're you're talking about, it's playing out in all these ways. And until it's kind of seen, you're you can feel really, really lost. So let's let's jump to a little bit to the next part, which is this eye movement, bilateral stimulation, and what that means and and how mm -hmm. that helps. Because uh, I think a lot of people will be like, "What what's going on here? This doesn't make sense. You do this, and you just move your eyes back and forth, and this just takes it all away, so to speak." So. Would it be helpful for me to talk more specifically about the bilateral simulation, or would you like me to give your listeners a sense of like what they might expect if they were to walk into an EMDR therapy? What would be? What I think would really help listeners would to be able to talk about maybe what they would experience if they went in and did EMDR and how that ties back to bilateral simulation and how those kind of play okay. out in a, in a, in a, in a base way. Okay, I will try to do that. <laughs> that could be a hard question to ask. I know, I know. I mean, I, no, no, it's not hard. It's just it's trying to make something that you know, doing psychotherapy is a complex phenomenon. <laughs> it's a complex process, right? So I'm going to try to simplify it for people. So early sessions, if you enter into EMDR therapy with a trained EMDR therapist, early sessions involve taking a thorough history and coming up with a treatment plan establishing safety and trust within that therapeutic relationship, making sure you feel solidly secure in that relationship. Early sessions are going to focus on resourcing and skill building work if, it's, if that's needed to make sure that a client is ready to approach challenging emotional material. And now most people don't show up to therapy saying, I'm here to work on my traumatic memories, or I'm here to work on this memory from age five. Most people walk through our door and say, uh, you know, my life is a mess. I'm having marital problems. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. So we probably most typically begin with the client's current distress, and we float back from there looking for the root of the distress. I might say, 
when's the last time you had a panic attack? Walk me into that scene. And now as you are paying attention to the feelings and the sensations and the beliefs about yourself connected to this recent situation, let your mind float back along that experience and let it float back to the earliest time, the worst time you remember feeling or experiencing anything similar to that. And so we float back and we look for relevant traumatic memories. And once a, a target memory is identified, we activate the memory through a series of questions. And then we introduce 30 to 60 second sets of eye movements or bilateral back and forth stimulation to jumpstart the brain stalled information processing situation. And like I said, over the years, we've discovered that we can use many different modalities for this bilateral stimulation. I'll come back to that in a moment. Also, it's worth saying that during the pandemic, we discovered that EMDR absolutely can be done virtually. We have all kinds of technology and platforms online that allow us to have a client sit at their computer and watch a ball that goes back and forth or put headphones on and listen to tones that go back and forth as they focus on their traumatic memory. But with every set of bilateral and Real quick, I want to clarify like one thing. When you say like activate a memory, what does that really mean for someone who's experiencing that? Because, okay, I can think about that, you know, fine. Yeah. But you're yeah. talking about activating it. And I think that's a little different. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So a key part of EMDR is making sure that you fully access and activate, stimulate, a memory held in the nervous system. And we do that by asking the client to bring complete mindfulness to that memory. We, we've identified the memory, but we have the client really focus in using all of their senses by asking them to bring up an image, right? So we're using imagery. We ask them to notice if there's any sounds or smells or anything that come up when they bring up that image. We ask them to think about or notice the thoughts that are part of that memory. So I'm not good enough. It's my fault. I'm bad. I'm powerless. I'm in danger. I'm going to die. If those thoughts bubble up, we ask them to bring their attention to that. And then we bring the client to their body. And we say, where do you notice that distress in your body? And people say, it's in my stomach. It's in my head. I feel tension in my arms. And what are the emotions connected to that? I feel shame. I feel terror. I feel rage, right? So those are the components of that unprocessed memory that we are working to activate through these very focused questions. And that's done as an early step. We've identified the memory and then we activate the memory and then we bring in the bilateral stimulation. Once we've brought the memory up front, they're holding it in their working active memory, and then we bring in the bilateral stimulation. So let me just add it from a client perspective, how I would answer that. If target memories live in the third rail, activating that target memory is grabbing that third rail with both hands, like it's it's lightning going through your body. You're, you're grabbing right on to, that moment when you were two in that room with that person as if it were happening right then 
right there in in my case in Dr. Magdi's Magdi's office. Like you're you're in it. You're really feeling it. It's almost like you're there. Yes, yes and <laughs> yes and we're activating that memory, but we're always saying to the client, just notice it's old stuff. It's a memory, right? Stay grounded and connected here in the moment with me, right? Stay connected in your adult self. And we're just witnessing. We're witnessing this memory. EMDR is not about reliving as if you were five years old again. It's about from your adult self, observing this activated memory and processing it as you bear witness to the experience. Right. And then, and then right? the bilateral it's stimulation. Reliving, it's about redoing. Right. And then the bilateral stimulation helps your nervous system integrate it the is is that would that be correct in a sense yeah you know it, at this point in time there's been over i think over 30 controlled trials that substantiate the positive effects of eye movements in particular and what we know now about the function of eye movements is that eye movements seem to reduce negative emotions they reduce imagery vividness, and they reduce emotional arousal. So that's the desensitization part. They also seem to increase memory retrieval. So they help you to really access. They help you with the recognition of true information. So they help you to let go of what's not true and to take in more adaptive perspective or information. Eye movements lead to positive neurophysiological changes and more flexible thinking. And I think it's, mm -hmm. it is fair to say that, that the bilateral simulation, the eye movement or other forms of bilateral help you to integrate your adult perspective, what you know now in your best moments, right? Your most grounded moments, your most sane moments. They allow you to kind of view those earlier experiences from that perspective and bring in information that somehow was not getting integrated with the earlier experiences because those experiences were locked in the nervous system, not allowing new information to enter and integrate. Right. And so I have a question for you, Michael. As this process is happening, as Deborah's, you know, she's describing this, when this started to work for you, what was your reaction to it? Or when did you realize like, you know, this is shifting something in me. This is changing. And, and what was that like? So for me, that that process started the very first session I had with Dr. Magnavita. And it was as if I was finally tapping into what felt like rivers in my case, because I was so unaware of the 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 extent to which the neglect was a part of my trauma history, um, just deprivation and neglect. So the longing and the the loneliness uh, and the yearning were such profound emotional wells in that very first session in pretty dramatic, uh, this is not intellectualization or, or, or just talk therapy, just waves of, of emotion coming out, like tapping into a, a tree and letting the sap come out. You know, that's what it felt like. And... So for me, the relief, the, the differentiation for me of EMDR as a therapy, number one, 
but also the, the level of relief that I felt from the very first session I had with Dr. Magnavita was unique and profound. You could just tell in that moment, like, this is different. This is absolutely, oh, this, absolutely. my nervous system is now different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's for me realizing the level of neglect and deprivation, the pre verbal and early infancy version of me had to endure to the point of just collapse and hopelessness, you know, because I, I was basically just, you know, neglected. I remember I showed a picture of myself when I was about two in Denver to Dr. Magnavita, I'll never forget. He said, oh my, that you look like a Syrian refugee baby whose entire family has been, you know, killed and you're just wandering around in the rubble. Blank face. Oh, and how's... Michael grew up in a very privileged family. He grew up in yeah. an upper middle class family that looked beautiful from the outside looking in. Yeah, I think that's where that small t trauma comes in that is not always visible and gets dismissed. And and then the person, that's its own trauma. When they have trauma and then their trauma is dismissed is its own trauma. It just compounds itself. So I'm, I'm glad yeah. we talk about that because I think a lot of listeners out there can understand that too. So many times in our society, trauma is dismissed and, and missed and not seen. So I I think it's awesome that you guys have written this book and once again, made it so accessible. So we're, we're getting close to our time here. And I love to ask one question to every, every guest that, that comes on. If someone out there is suffering, they're having a, a hard time and they're struggling and you can tell them one thing, what would you want them to know? I think I would want to say to them, you can heal. Don't give up hope. And if you want to think about EMDR therapy as an option, don't worry about figuring anything out before you walk through the front door. You know, bring your whole entire hot mess to therapy and with the help of a therapist who will be there at your side every moment through the work, you will you will begin to put the pieces together and you will begin to connect the dots and it will become clearer and clearer how to heal and that you can heal. So come on down is my message. Come on down. I love it. And mine is, I guess, related because when I was, uh, you know, when I was in my twenties, Francine Shapiro had not, you know, invented or discovered EMDR today if I was in my 20s, I have EMDR therapy as an option. So my message always is, if you are distressed, your friend, your spouse, your colleague, your husband, your child, don't wait. Reach out and find an EMDR therapist. As Debbie said, you can heal and then you can live your life. So the other thing I say often is, my operating system since infancy was an operating system filled with malware, dread, anxiety, fear, uncertainty, self-doubt. That, that was the, those are all the watchwords of my operating system. When I finished the Dr. Magnavita, I got to trade that in for one of just being me and waking up and having none of those things pounce on me from my first moment of being awake in the morning. And, and to me, I, I can't think of a bigger dividend in life than, than having that be your baseline versus what I had to contend with 
my whole life up until that point. Oh, thank you, Michael. Both of you, like, just bringing so much hope. And and I, I would say, you know, anybody out there who's struggling with trauma and, and wants a way out, every memory deserves respect. Check out the book. Like you said earlier, we were talking about it. It is so accessible. It's been a, a joy to have you guys on. If people want more information about you, where can they find you? They can check out our website. We're working hard on it these days. It's uh, the name of the book, www.everymemorydeservesrespect, all one word, everymemorydeservesrespect.com. On the website, you'll find links to the EMDR International Association. Find a therapist directory so you can look for an EMDR therapist for yourself. You'll find all kinds of articles and videos and information and you can get in touch with Michael or myself through the website. Awesome. Thank you both so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. Just appreciate you guys sharing your wisdom and your kindness and your hope. Well, Dwayne, thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So you can check out all the information about Deborah Korn and Michael Baldwin and their incredible book, Every Memory Deserves Respect. So just go to theaddictedmind.com and check it out. And before you leave, if you are getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, rate and review us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places. Please write a review. It really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure and helps people find the podcast. And I really appreciate it. And to join our Facebook group, just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.